Adult learners don't go to university to find themselves. Yeah. They have a purpose and a mission when they go to the university and sacrifice the time and, and the time with family and the personal time and whatever else. You know, even even if, if it's career progression at that time, you're focusing on your schooling, right? Yeah. You're not really focusing on growing in your career. If that happens, you know, kudos to you. But something's got to give. So definitely communicate the social proof. Talk about the success stories. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the Bee Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I. TV. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, well, today we're talking all about marketing to adult students or non-traditional learners and here to share his uh, personal testimony, having been an adult learner himself and experiencing some highs and lows is uh, Chris Raposo. Chris leads the marketing efforts at Hannon Hill, an ed tech company based in Atlanta, Georgia. He was born and raised in Germany, uh, moved to the U.S. at the age of 22. Chris graduated as a non-traditional adult learner from University of Florida and evangelizes the positive impact a degree from a higher ed institution can make. Uh, he aims to spread the word about the benefits of attracting non-traditional students to higher ed campuses to mitigate the looming demographic enrollment cliff. And Chris is a member of the American Marketing Association and the podcast host of The Education Marketing Leader. Well, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Well, thanks, John. Happy to be here. It's kind of weird being on the other side of the mic and being asked the questions. <laughs> I know. It's uh, it's hard for me, too. I'm getting used to it the more podcasts I guest on, uh, but it's never easy. I'm way more comfortable asking the questions. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, so... Let's see. So we're talking about marketing to, to non-traditional students today. Let's kick things off. I like to ask uh, our guests something a little like on a personal note. What is something that people would be surprised to know about you? So as you just mentioned in the intro, I am originally from Germany. I was born and raised in Germany, but I did play American football in Germany. So there's teams spread out the the country of Germany that have some American football teams. Some of you may be familiar with NFL Europe. I wasn't hmm. anywhere near that league, but wherever there was an army, a military base from the Americans, there was usually some American influence. Hmm. And I played American football for about 10 years in Germany. And as an adult between 18 and 22, I played for an adult league and I had a, I had a pretty good season. So my coach sent me to try out for the national team for the German national American football team uh, in Frankfurt, Germany. So I don't really talk about that a lot, but it's something people usually don't know about me that I played American football in Germany. That's really cool. What position did you play? So the first two years I played quarterback and then wow. uh, the last two years I played wide receiver. All right. So you were like the guy. I mean, I was the guy. Yeah. They, they gave me that. <laughs> They gave me the, the, the keys to the team. So I, I had a good arm. That's the only excuse why they put me on the on the quarterback position. <laughs> That's really interesting. I would not have uh, pegged you as a football player. But maybe I was, wide... uh, I was about 60 pounds heavier than. <laughs> um, well, cool. Uh, so you just had a, a webinar last week that I attended with uh, Carrie Phillips, Dr. Carrie Phillips. Um, and, uh, went really great. And that was all about the, the looming enrollment cliff. And you had a little segment on there, just kind of sharing your personal journey. So for people that weren't on that webinar, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey with, with higher education. 
Yeah, so higher education was never the plan in the beginning when I was raised in Germany. I was raised by a single mom who worked all the time in a family business. So education wasn't a priority in our family. You know, it was like keep the business going, make sure there's going to be food on the table. So since she worked all the time, which I cannot fault her, I have two kids of my own, you know, and if you, if you're a single parent, you, I'm not a single parent, but if you were, if I were a single parent, I would do everything in my power to provide for my kids. Mm-hmm. And during that time, things kind of fell to the wayside as it came to my, to my education, to homework. So I barely made it through high school. And then I went to the, to a trade school in Germany because I couldn't get into university with the grades that I had. So the next, the trajectory in Germany, if you don't have good enough grades to get into a white collar job, an apprenticeship or the university, you do an apprenticeship um, at a blue collar job. And I got a job at a construction company and worked on construction for about four years doing bricklayer work and concrete Mm. finishing. But that was just backbreaking work. And I could see see 50 year olds that looked like 70 year olds, like walking like hunchbacks. And I was, I looked at them and I said, this is, there's no way I want to end up like that. I mean, I hated every day working on construction. So I have dual citizenship. My father was American. So I had the opportunity to move to the United States. So after I graduated from trade school, I told my mom that, um, I want to go to America. And, you know, she said, you'll be back by Christmas. I left on Labor Day weekend. I didn't know it was Labor Day weekend, but I arrived here on Labor Day weekend, 2005. She said, you'll be back by Christmas, 2005. And 18 years later, I'm still here. Um, but, you know, when you come to America, I told you I played football in Germany. So part of the dream was, hey, maybe I can play college football in the United States because I was good enough to try out for the German national team. So I was like, maybe I can get on a college college team. So I, you know, went to the University of South Florida. It was the closest place in Tampa. And they basically told me, well, you have German transcripts. First of all, you need to translate your transcript. So I had to figure out how to do that. Then my grades were awful. I wouldn't have been able to go to a four-year school right away. So they told me, hey, man, you got to go to to community college first mm-hmm. uh, in order to go to university my English was terrible, okay? It's the, it's the kind of English, you know, when you go to high school in the United States and you learn Spanish, it's maybe good enough to get around if you go to South America to Spain, you know, on vacation. Buy a loaf of bread or something like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, get, getting a job, working in a professional environment, or let alone go to university and succeed there. That wasn't the type of English that I had at that time. So, and I also had to pay bills, right? So I got a, a entry-level job at a mailroom, just worked my way through the ranks and then got into a law firm, worked in a law firm for several years, got better at learning the language. And then, you know, I had a career ceiling and I was like, well, I also met my, my girlfriend, my wife now at the time, and we discussed future plans and I had a career ceiling. I said, well, the next step, if I want to grow and be a, become a better provider, I would, I would have to go to school. So at the age of 30, I enrolled in Hillsborough Community College in Tampa. It's a two-year college. You know, it's open access, so you don't have to, you do a placement test, but you you, you get enrolled right away if you apply for it. So I did that part-time while working. So that's how I got introduced to, to higher education at the time, at the age of 30. And, you know, when you're 30, when you're an adult learner, you're also... You have a little bit more clarity and purpose, which, you know, gives you a a reason to enroll in the first place. Like if you get right out of high school, it's kind of like, that's the next thing to do. You know, college, you're, it's like high school, you just live in a different place. But as an adult learner with a family on the way, you just have a little bit more clarity. And then personal growth, of course, was always um, part of the conversation there as well, especially since I had the opportunity to immigrate to the United States. And the last thing I wanted to do was just get by. I mean, I moved all the way from Germany to the US, crossed the Atlantic. And the last thing I wanted to do was just to squeak by and, um, you know, not live up to my full potential and the opportunity that I was afforded um, Mm -hmm. when I left my home country. 
Wow, that's a that's quite a story. And I have so much respect for people that come to America and learn English because English is hard. Like, <laughs> like I'm trying to teach my my daughter uh, to read. My daughter, my daughter um, is is six, and we're reading this kids book last night. She read most of it and just impresses me. She almost literally taught herself to read. Like, I don't know how she did it because uh, I I haven't worked with her that much. But she's reading this, and like she'll get stuck on certain words, like that even just that like they don't follow the rules of like how a letter should sound you know yeah and it's just like sorry kiddo like you just got to memorize that one like there's no real explanation for it (laughs) you know i remember i went and did a semester in um, france when i was in college and tried really hard to learn the language and it was so hard (laughs) it was so hard and like but like and when you're an adult that's even harder because i would meet these um went to like a church there and then they had like kids that had come over from this, you know, families that had come over from the States to like, you know, live there. And their kids were just like fluent, like almost like (laughs) seemingly instantly. It's just like their brains just soak it up so much better. And, but like when you're an adult, I can't imagine trying to learn English as an adult. Yeah, Yeah, it was tough. I I met somebody when I first moved here and she's, she basically, you said cut, kind of cut off all um, communication with your German speaking people, because you have to fully immerse yourself in the culture in order to learn it. So when I first started working here, I worked at a trucking company and they told me to answer the phone and it was in the South and I couldn't understand the accent. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. (laughs) When I switched careers, uh, jobs, and I worked in a mailroom for three years, you know, all I did was sort mail and read emails. And that's how I learned the language in the sentence structure. I Uh. read emails on how to you know, form a sentence, a proper sentence, a business sentence. So yeah. I learned that uh, within the time I was working in a mailroom. Interesting. Well, that shows like so much grit. And I think that um, adult students definitely like that's just inherent in a lot of adult students is just like when you're deciding to go back to school as an adult, you're you're really making a sacrifice and you're saying like, this is what needs to be done. So I'm just going to like pony up and do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you share, like, how did you research schools? So thinking about like marketers listening to this podcast, how would you advise them in terms of like how you found value in certain schools over others? Um, what, what was that search process like for you? So I always tell a story about, I had two schools that I went to. I went to Hillsborough Community College the first two years uh, for my AA and living in Tampa. That was the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. HCC is the is basically the community college in Tampa that everybody goes to. It's low cost. It's easy access. So I didn't do a lot of research on that. It was kind of word of mouth, you know, mm-hmm. because it was so in the community that everybody who went to school, who couldn't go to university, went to the Hillsborough County Community College. But then once I graduated from HEC or right before then I had several options, right? So cost was obviously a, a factor. So I knew that I was not going to go to the University of Tampa, which was a private school and super expensive. So I needed to find a cost effective way to get my undergraduate degree. And the obvious choice is University of South Florida. They're based out of Tampa, but there's this time commitment um, having to go to the university after I was finished with my job. And it was at a certain part of town where there was always traffic. You could never find a parking spot. And the last thing I wanted to do is after I got out of work, sit in traffic for an hour and then drive around campus to find a parking spot. Right. You know, I didn't want to do that to myself. So I looked at other options, like what what else was out there, you know, and I, I learned about um, online schools other than University of Phoenix. At the time, University of Phoenix was the online school, mm-hmm. but it didn't have the reputation that I wanted. So I was like, well, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to University of Phoenix, right? It doesn't seem to have the same weight than like a University of Florida or a University of Central Florida. So I started re- researching all the public universities in the state of Florida. It was Florida State. It was University of South Florida. It was University of Central Florida. And then it was um, Florida International, I think it was as well. You know, I didn't really look at North Florida, but 
um, just the, the big name schools. I looked them up, I, I navigated their website. And then I, what really, you know, what helped me make a decision was the user experience on the website with the website popped and it looked modern and it looked like they had it together. It told me a lot more of what kind of education I would get or perceived, at least I had the perception of, Hey, they know what they're doing on their website. They must know what they're doing in the classroom or the virtual classroom. So that was kind of like the research that mm -hmm. I did, um, on the get go before I enrolled in a, in a two, in a four year school after the AA. That's interesting. The website, just the, just the layout of the way I experienced that recently. I can't remember what website I was on, but I was like, I was like going to buy something or something like that. And then the website was just kind of like clunky and like mm -hmm. old. And I was like, ah, I don't mm -hmm. know. I just, I experienced like that friction of like, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is the right decision based on how this looks. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's the perception, man. You know, first impressions matter. And if, and a university website is basically the first impression somebody gets after they either get referred to it or they see a billboard or something, they go to the website what does the website look like? Do they look like they, they're in 2023 or, or do they look like they're back in 2008? Right. Right. Um, as you were going through college, um, what did you see any like marketing that stood out to you as like, Oh, that's kind of a miss for someone like me or, Oh, that actually is very good messaging for someone, you know, like me. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, before I enrolled at, at Hillsborough Community College, I I must have visited the the campus and the admissions office at least three times over the course of maybe two years or so. You know, you go in there, you're like, maybe this is something I should do, but then you talk your way out of it. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. this is gonna it's gonna be way too hard. It's gonna take way too long. I'm already 30. Oh, I was 28 at the time. I'm already 28. You know, I'm too old for this. That's the kind of stuff you tell yourself. You know, because in in the media and on the in the movies, you only see the the eighteen years old olds right out of out of high school going to college. So, as an adult learner, especially from a different country, you were like, "Well, that that ship has sailed, man. I'm I'm not going to go to university. I'm too old for this." Mm -hmm. But you know, it's you kind of try to get over yourself. And so I showed up at the at the campus a couple of times, and there was a. I still remember this and it, that must have been 12 years ago now, but I still remember it to this day. I walked the admissions hall. I just walked around the building and I saw these posters with students on there. And it said, invest in the one thing that earns you a hundred return of investment, which mm. is yourself, you know? And yeah. that kind of stood out to me. I was like, because you always, when you, when you come, especially from another country, you're always trying to figure out a way how to make money. You're like, well, should I invest in things? You know, should I invest in the stock market? How can I make money fast? And then I saw this invest in the one thing that earns you 100% of the return of investment, which is yourself. And I was like, that stuck with me. I was like, yeah, hey, man, I got to I gotta invest in this. And everybody told me, like, go to school. If you have that degree, that's something nobody can ever take away from you. There was always that saying. You heard that before, right? Mm -hmm. Like, nobody can take away that education from you. And then when I was made aware of the University of Florida online, where I went to, I, of all pieces of all, you know, uh, marketing pieces, it was a, it was a mail piece that I received and it was a magnet that said the Gator Nation is everywhere. And to this point, I didn't know that the University of Florida had an online option. UF is huge in, in Florida, right? And especially in Tampa, it's a lot of UF grads. I worked with a lot of UF lawyers at the law firm that I worked for mm -hmm. before I enrolled. And I thought, my goodness, you know, I always wanted to go to the University of Florida, but that was two hours away from Gainesville. And I didn't, obviously, I wasn't going to leave Tampa because I had a job there and I wasn't going to commute to Gainesville to go to the University of Florida. But when I got that mail piece that said the Gator Nation is everywhere and brought awareness to their online program, I was like, wow, this is it. And you know what? UF was the only school I applied to after my AA or right before I graduated. And luckily I got in. <laughs> so the Gator Nation was is everywhere is um it was more about just it being online. Yeah, this is the tagline, like everywhere. Basically, you can be a gator from anywhere in the world. 
Okay, cool. Because when you said that, I was kind of like, oh, that would be a great slogan for like our alumni network is mm -hmm. really strong, you know? <laughs> yes. But it's also like, yeah, you're a gator and you can't be a distance gator and you can't. I had I had students or classmates that that were in Italy. They were based in Italy. They may be in the military, you know, and they were stationed in Italy and um, they did their schooling from from there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, just like because I think that's like the um, that's the obvious hurdle that that higher ed marketers need to overcome is like, is this really going to be like the real college experience if I'm doing online school? Is this going to be like a YouTube education or am I really going to be part of something uh, and really ingrained into the culture? Um, and those are really like the stories that I think that um, we need to be telling to adult students is like, here's how my uh what i perceived online school to look like but here's like the community i actually found you know through that and it was very much like you know being on campus and yeah and the other like thing that. they they always promoted was that the uf online students get the same faculty as the students on campus so a lot of this the, the faculty that i had they actually taught in the classroom at on campus at uf and then just did you know, got some extra courses and did them online and, and shared their knowledge there. Yeah. And so you said um, you posted uh, the other day just on, on LinkedIn about your experience with Hillsborough and uh, and NUF and uh, some of the challenges that that you had, um, maybe just some misses that that were there that you wished were different. Can you tell us, like, unpack that for us a little bit? Uh, yeah, some of the challenges that I had there were um Obviously, before the challenges of balancing work and family, I would say is when you go in as an adult learner, you want to make sure that you understand that you sacrifice short-term pleasures for delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. so, you know, you go in there and you're, you're working, you're going to the gym, you've got your life together, right? But then all of a sudden you got to switch things up and you might got to make sacrifices, um, in order to be able to complete your coursework. But some of the other challenges that I had was, um, of course, the, the cost, you know, because all of a sudden now, especially me, I wanted to pay out of pocket. I didn't want to take on student loan debt. Mm -hmm. So how, how was I going to do that? Right. So that was kind of tough to to navigate. And even though I made a budget for I always made a budget for the tuition, but then I got blindsided with <laughs> with the additional costs, like the textbooks. Or sometimes yeah. you had to um, you had to sign up for some sort of a software in order to complete the the assignments, and that uh, they weren't included in uh, the course. Like, geez, man, these are like these hidden costs. Now, with the textbooks, what I did was I either rented them or I bought them really cheap used. I didn't care what they looked like. Right. I just needed a textbook. But if you had an online lab or whatever, and you had to pay another hundred dollars to on top of tuition to get in there, you know, that was always um, kind of annoying. So, yeah, that, so that was, yeah. Just pricing transparency. Yes, pricing, yeah. pricing transparency. And then other things were, um, sometimes it was flexibility as well. Um, that's where the educating your faculty about that diversity on campus comes into play too, you know. If you do an online college, you're, you expect that you can complete assignments on your own terms, even if that's within the course of one week. Like usually it started Monday morning at 12.01, a, a course opened, a module opened up, and then you had the entire week until Sunday at 12, uh, 11.59 to complete it. But there were some faculty, some professors that expected the midterm to be done within like, let's say on a Wednesday evening between 6 and 9 p.m. Mm. You know, it's like, well, what if I can't make the 6 to 9 p.m.? Like, that's going to be a problem. That yeah. creates friction. Obviously, you tell them their situation. Hey, I have a job. I work the night shift or whatever. They're moving it around, right? But it creates this extra layer of stress on yeah. the student, you know, that's unnecessary. Yeah, for sure. And especially, did you have kids at this time? Uh, yes, I actually had one son. I had my son. Um, when I was just enrolling in in the University of Florida online after I had the AA 
And then in my final semester, I had my daughter and my daughter was scheduled to be born during finals week in the oh, summer. Wow. Here was I emailing my professor saying, hey, I know we have finals this week, but my daughter is due around this time. So she came three weeks early, so there wasn't a problem, but she could have been born right around the, the finals day. Oh, geez. I read yeah. a story uh, that popped up in my newsfeed about um, a mom who was giving birth and took the bar exam while she was in labor, <laughs> like in her hospital bed. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, kids throw a whole level of um, complexity onto things that you wouldn't understand uh, if you didn't have kids. And I, and I really underestimated that. And I think a lot of people do just like the scheduling and like, cause I never could understand why my friends that when they started having kids, they, you just never see them anymore, you know, and they would just be constantly, you just like, you're constantly on call and like the kids always come first. And you, of course you want them to come first. And mm -hmm. it's hard to, uh, you know, your wife probably has so much mental load going on. So it's not just as simple as like, well, she'll take care of it. You know, she's been working all day. Then it's like, <laughs> then you're gonna yeah. make her work more and watch the kids and stuff. So anything like for me, like it's really tough for me to plan anything in that six to nine uh, yeah. period of time. Cause that's like prime, like it could be going really good or it could be like witching hour, like <laughs> trying to get to bed you know, and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's that's really tough. And that's something that you wouldn't understand, you know, as a, a developing programs and stuff if you didn't have mm -hmm. kids. Yeah. And the other thing was, at the same time, my wife um, earned her MBA. Oh, while, my gosh. While I was doing the undergrad. So that was actually a, a blessing. And you know why? Because we were both going through it. So it was yeah. kind of like, you know, we understood each other's um, struggles. So it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do schoolwork around this time. You have the, the babies. And then I took him after I was finished and she did her stuff. You know, it wasn't like she never felt neglected because she was going through the same thing. And that yeah. could be another issue. If you're an adult learning, you have a, have a family and your wife or husband are used to you guys hanging out on a Friday night um, or, or traveling on the weekend. You can't do that because the weekends are the time that you, you complete most of your schoolwork. Mm -hmm. Wow. Gosh, I, that's so, that sounds very stressful to me. <laughs> Quick break here to dispel a myth. That myth is this. If you already have an internal videographer or video team at your college, then it doesn't make sense for us to work together. Now you may be expecting me to say, oh, that's a myth. It's not true. Well, actually in some cases it is true. If you maybe have a robust video team, multiple people manning multiple different stations and operations and you're telling stories and, and when your marketing team has an idea for a video, you can get that pushed through the video team relatively quickly. Like you're not gonna be waiting around for months and months for them to get to that project in the queue. That's a perfect case where you're probably good. God bless you, go take on the world. But maybe you're one of these schools where budgets are a little tighter. Roles are combined. Your social media manager is also your content creator. Those are two separate jobs, by the way. Well, that's what my friend Shar, who at the time we recorded this, uh, she was doing both for the institution she works at. She was the social media manager and the videographer and the photographer. Since recording this with her, they've actually moved her into a full-time videographer, photographer, content creator role. And for her sake, I'm super pumped for her. But I'm gonna let her tell you about her experience with our video storytelling subscriptions and how partnering with us in addition to the internal video work she was already doing helped her be able to focus on the many other priorities that she had. So here's Shar. The video subscription idea was a real godsend for me. It's been kind of life-changing in a way. <laughs> I don't know if that's too uh, strong of a statement. On a couple of different levels, as a social media manager, it was really fantastic to have this entire campaign, if you will, of student testimonials. I know that for my channels, I'm going to get a new video every single month. There's a lot of content to produce and not a lot of content creators here. So having somebody who can take that portion off my plate, it's, it's allowed me a little bit of room to breathe and maybe focus on some other projects. Not only do you get a fully edited testimonial, you also get a delivery of all of the B-roll that was taken of that student 
For instance, we have this culinary institute. And one of the projects we wanted to do is to create uh, just a short little video connected to a QR code uh, that on all the little chocolates that we, that we give out in the restaurant or if they make chocolates for a special event or for our board members or for any meetings or graduation, they can scan this QR code and up pops this video of some like really beautiful slow-mo hands making chocolate and that sort of thing. And I was able to go into this B-roll and find some fantastic shots of one of our students who did a testimonial creating these bonbons and creating cakes and you've got the batter going and you've got the chocolate drizzling. So I know that I'm going to be able to take that footage, resize it, I can, I can resize it vertically if I need it, I can resize it into a one by one if I need it, uh, I can color grade it however I need to fit my needs. And I really don't have to travel across the state to our culinary institute to do a whole new shoot because I've got that B footage at my hands. So really, that's something that I could sit down, edit for a couple of hours, have it done and check it off the list, which is fantastic. So if you'd like to get like Shar and bring in an outside partner like Unveiled, you can go to unveiled.tv and book a call with me. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv. All right, back to the show. Um, so thinking about like the stories that universities tell, uh, in their marketing, as we're coming to this, you know, enrollment cliff and, you know, one of the opportunities, you know, here that I think is just kind of an obvious jump is, is schools, uh, shifting their marketing towards adult students. Um, and, uh, so like thinking about the adult learner and the things that you experienced and the things that you wish you had, or that you did have that you appreciated having, um, like support services and, you know, an inclusive environment or whatever it is, what, what kind of stories um, or marketing content would you suggest marketers create content around, you know, that tell the, the story of like, you can do this as an adult? Yeah, yeah, you definitely want to lead with social proof, uh, social proof pieces. UF Online actually did a couple of pieces um, telling my story one was right before graduation the headline was father of two um, finishes or graduates with a degree from the university of florida online and then the other one was a year later was sort of a where are they now post right so you graduated what's the roi on the investment you always want to yeah. you want to showcase that right because adult learners don't go to university to to find themselves yeah. They have a purpose and a mission when they go to the to the university and sacrifice the the time and, and the time with family and the personal time and whatever else. You know, even even if, if it's career progression, at that time you're you're focusing on your schooling, right? Yeah. You're not really focusing on growing in your career. If that happens, you know, kudos to you. But something's gotta give. So definitely communicate the social proof, um, talk about the success stories. But here's the issue that I always find. And I learned this, the more I work with higher ed, the more I talk about on this topic, we always want to tell the hero stories, the end, but we never want to talk about the struggles, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Because we think that, well, maybe that'll, that'll deter someone from coming to our schools. But if you're at all aware of, of yourself, you're no going in, that this is going to be difficult. Yeah. You know, you talk to yourself, you talk to your family, you're going to be saying, this is going to be a really, really tough season. And if I don't go in 100%, I'm probably not going to make it. I'm going to be one of those 40 million people that have some college, but no credentials. And that's just a waste of my time. And it's a waste of our money, you know, because for you're, sure. you're going to pay for the, you're going to pay for the classes, but you're not going to have anything to show for um, at the end. And then, it's always something that'll linger with you. You know, mm -hmm. you're gonna be like, man, should I have gone back? Should I have finished it? So that's something you want to communicate, but you also want to communicate the support systems that are in there. You know, I had a wonderful academic advisor who went with me every step of the way. I, I, I checked in with her every, every semester right before. And I said, Hey, which classes do you think I should take next in order to get to my ultimate goal quicker? So not only telling student stories and the success stories, 
but also talk about the struggle, but then also introduce the faculty and uh, introduce the the advisors, those people that are the un, unsung heroes, and talk about them. So yeah. people get, because people do business with people, right? So you want to make right. sure you build that trust. And of course, with a, with adult learners, you you have to communicate flexibility, flexible options. You know, mm-hmm. you know, some people think, well, all I know is what I see on TV. I have to be on campus from nine to three or whatever the timing is. Some people may not know that there's after evening classes available or online classes. Um, yeah. And create awareness of your institution. I got to be honest with you. I don't think I got another mail, a mail piece, another. Uh, promotional piece other than the University of Florida online. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, if that's legal or possible for universities to k- partner with two-year schools and get a list of their soon-to-graduate students that are going to graduate with the AA and want to go to a four-year school, yeah. so you can target them because maybe University of Florida, um, University of South Florida and Tampa may have had a program that I would have liked better or University of um, Central Florida in Orlando. That was another school I looked at, but I was never targeted by them. The only school that targeted me was University of Florida. And then uh, they got me in the end. And then the last thing I would say, you want to make sure that you make the admissions process as simple as possible. I, um, I watched a higher ed web presentation the other day by day. She works at Ology and she talked about how she was an international student, how she tried to get into MIT and just the admissions requirement page. She clicked on like, she had like 23 clicks and landed on 17 pages just to figure out how to, um, what she needed to send to the school in order to get um, the admissions process going. So make it a little bit more simple. We talked about friction earlier and that we want to alleviate the friction especially when you're trying to get somebody into the door, make it as easy as possible on them. Yeah, absolutely. I have, and I was just dealing with this this morning, I have a program that I've been uh, working with, a piece of software that I've been trying out, and it's I'm finding it to be a really good potential. Like the in theory, this is really helpful, but the user experience is so clunky, and I have to click around. It's so confusing, and I'm just... Like I spend 10 minutes with it. I'm just like, I can't do this like this. You know, you have to eliminate clicks as much as possible and make it very clear. And I think that you can really only do that effectively with like getting feedback from students on how they're moving through the site and what's confusing because you really don't know. Like, uh, you know, you could think that you're making this very simple, but but they're you don't know what they're getting they're getting tripped up on. Should I click here? Should I click here? Um, you know, where's the button? What's the, you know, what's the next step here? Um, yeah, that's, that's so important. Yeah. I, I heard a story about, um, an admissions team on our university and they said for new hires to understand the intricacies of the, of the admissions process, it takes about two years for people to fully grasp it in the onboarding process. Mm. And then they were like, well, if it takes the employees of the university two years to get fully, get a full understanding of what's going on and how to navigate it, how do you expect the student mm-hmm. going in there and figuring that out? Right. Maybe, maybe that's never been to college before or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or who's an international student who's a first generation student who doesn't have the support system, doesn't have anybody in their family who can tell them this is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good talk from Diana Kibilds uh, mm-hmm. from from Ology. I've I've heard her talk about that on a on a different podcast. Can't remember the name of the podcast, yeah. but it's kind of one of her like pillar talks. Mm-hmm. I think that she that she gives. So if you follow Day on LinkedIn or something, I'm sure you'll find it or something like it somewhere. It's mm-hmm. very good, very good talk to listen to. Um, yeah. I want to back up because you said the school did two videos on you. Mm-hmm. So one question that I always have when I work with schools is what and we work with a lot of adult students, you know, because it's, uh, you know, I work with a lot of grad programs and, and stuff like that. Um, what incentivized you to say yes to that ask? 
and they yeah. got two videos out of you, which I think is remarkable. Did they pay you? Was there an incentive or what did you feel like, oh, there's something in it for me that's yeah. not less tangible. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah. So these were actually write-ups. There was, there were articles, only not videos, but, oh, okay. but still, you know, you got to take, take the time. Yeah. Um, Let's I, pretend that they were videos. What would, yeah. what would, <laughs> because that, because that involves like sure several hours of your time filming. Do you think you would have said yes to that same ask if it was a video and why or why not? Absolutely, man. It's definitely huge exposure for your personal brand. I mean, I'm, like I said, I went to school to, to grow in my career, to better myself. And if I get backing from a school like the University of Florida and they spotlight me, Mm -hmm. It's like social proof that I put on my, my LinkedIn and they're yeah. I still have them featured like, Hey, look at, you know, it's kind of like, they think I'm good enough to be featured. This, this huge institution thinks I'm good enough to be featured. If you're looking for a marketer, you probably should give me a look or something like that, you know? Right. Right. Kind of thing, you know? So it's that social proof. It's like, it's that earned media. Like we'd like to say in uh, marketing, yes. it's the same when you, it's why you have people come on your on your show that you because you're not all of a sudden you become the expert in whatever topic you talk about because somebody interviewed you like me talking about higher ed um, adult learners how to attract adult learners right and this is how I want to position myself. Mm -hmm. um, if you have people like you with your podcast that has a following, it's like okay, John thought I was good enough to talk about this program, and other people probably think that too. That's why we're so huge on social proof when it comes to marketing. Everybody wants to see, hey, I don't want to be the first one to um, to try this product try out or yeah. to hire this person <laughs> because I don't know how this person is going to turn out. But if I have John over here, who's a, who's an expert and trusts Chris, I, I'm going to trust Chris. For or at sure. Least I'm inclined to trust Chris a little more as if, you know, if he's off the street, I never heard of this guy before. Yeah, that's such a good point. The social proof. And I think about this a lot because um you know, one of one of the barriers to the work that we do at Unveiled is helping schools find stories to tell and find people willing to participate. And I'm working with one school right now where people are a bit reluctant because it's a lot of international students. They're not really comfortable with their English enough to be on camera. So we're, we're working intricately together to try to solve this problem together. How can we get people to raise their hand and say, I want to be featured? Um, and, it, and it occurred to me yesterday where it's like, that social proof is a really good incentive because you always think about like, well, should we offer them a gift card? Should we offer them, you know, should we pay them? Should we include this in the budget? Should we, you know, buy them coffee? I don't know. what. Is, <laughs> well, yeah. How can we bribe them? But really inherently, you know, it, it occurred to me that I'm like, you could put this on your LinkedIn. Yeah. And, and, and even if it's not it like, even if an, like an employer after you graduate from, I mean, people are graduating from this particular college and working for like, big companies, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, it's data science. So it's, you know, into it. And, uh, you know, th those kind of like big, big companies like that, you know, that, that need these analysts. Um, and so it's like, even if a hire, what do you call it? Uh, recruiter, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. it's going on and they find you on your LinkedIn and they even just get a chance to hear your story mm -hmm. that go, that goes before you, you know, that goes before that student in an interview where like, they might not even interviewed you, but, but now they got an emotional connection to you. So they want to hear more. Um, yeah. so even just that the social proof, but also the opportunity, um, mm -hmm. to present yourself to employers in a way that's, that's like, here's my story. Here's why I care about this thing that I studied. That's right. And like you said, this particular school is big companies recruit them. And, you know, a lot of people can make up, Hey, I graduated from this school and they may never have gone there. But if you have that story, and that school featured you, there's a sure bet that this person actually went to that school. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, can you um, offer any, like, let's see, any insights into the role of, like, you know, technology, social media in, in reaching and in, in engaging in adult students? We've talked a little bit about storytelling. We've talked a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned a direct mail example. But, mm -hmm. but what about, like, what are some other things that marketers could put into practice uh, to reach a student like you? Yeah, well, we talked a lot about social proof and the videos we just did. So I'm not going to get too much into that anymore, but definitely you want to have the social proof because people want to, before they buy, they want to see, that's why everybody goes on Google reviews before they do make a purchase. They want to see, hey, are there people that look like me 
that had the same background as me, did they make it through your rigorous program? So social proof is top. The other thing we just talked about was the the issue created on websites. If you have to do all these clicks and you have to do 17 clicks and or 17 pages in order to get to where you want to go. So one of those new up and coming things is website personalization. You want to make sure that you have website personalization on your particular site in order to push out tailored content that's relevant to your visitors. And there's a couple of ways to do this. Like you can do that through personalization tools that that um, collect data through implicit data. Let's see the computer or the personalization tool figures out the geolocation where you visited or they it reads your digital body language. Let's say you went to a nursing program previously and then all of a sudden it's kind of like if you go on YouTube or on Netflix, you watch a video and then it recommends other videos mm -hmm. or movies like that. Same with the pages. If you're constantly on that nursing page looking at the at the tuition fees on the nursing page, if you're looking at the different programs on the nursing page, all of a sudden the, the personalization tool realizes, hey, this is what this person's interested in. Let's give them more of that content that's relevant to them, mm -hmm. right? So through personalization tools. And of course, you want to have in technology, you want to have chatbots on your website because let's say you have a traditional age student who's logs in after they see your Instagram ad at 11 p.m., that nobody's going to be on the university, mm -hmm. um, you know, admissions department looking at this. But if they can get their answers question uh, questions answered through a chatbot, it'll move them further down the enrollment funnel while mm -hmm. they're looking at the information on their own terms without yeah. having a you know live person there. And then on, of course, when it comes to social media. If you are doing targeted advertising, especially for adult learners that want to grow in their career, I would say LinkedIn, you know, because we all, especially white collar guys like us, we're, we hang out on LinkedIn a lot. Or if you're blue collar, you, you may be on Facebook. So if you tailor your messaging and you're targeting on, on those social media pages where ad older adults hang out, I would say that would be super relevant as well. Yeah. The chatbot thing is really smart. And honestly, like, that if you want to retain me as a as a customer or if you want to at least like push me over the edge ha make it easy for me to ask you a question because like the the sites like um the sites that you know i go to and i'm like trying to figure something out um and they have a little like hey chat with us thing in the corner it's just so easy it's always there in the corner i always know what to click on if i have a question and even if i get a, a bot you know, that's still remotely helpful, but then, you know, usually I'll like outsmart the bot. <laughs> I'll like, I'll ask questions beyond the bot's pay grade. And then they'll be like, we need to get someone in here. Um, it, but even if I had, but when my accounting software, sometimes I'll have, you know, questions about how to do one thing or another. And what they do is um, they'll, it's kind of like sending an email. You just put a question in there and they'll say, hey, we'll, we'll usually respond in like one to two hours. So I'm like, that's good. You know, that's like good enough for me. I don't need to know right this second, but at least I didn't have to go to like contact page, go down. Is there a form? Is there an email address some somewhere in here? Is my email going to get buried and take, you know, five days to respond to be, get a response? Yeah. But yeah, that that chat bot is, is super helpful. I used to have on my website. I, I can't remember why I, I took it down, um, uh, but it was like a text me thing. Like you could click and it would open up a, um, like the messages app. If you're like on map Mac mm -hmm. and you could like, it would go right to my phone. I thought it was so cool. I was like, yeah, I like had my wife test it out a bunch. I'm like, text me something, text me from the website. <laughs> awesome. You know, I need to get that back up. I think there was some technical thing I was having with it, but yeah, that's, but like, to me, to me, that's like, yeah, super important yeah. to retention. It's super important because if you don't have that, they'll, they'll just move on to the next school. Yeah. Yeah. The confusion, like if you trip people up with, with confusion, it's, it's so leaky. Like, mm -hmm. like you, people will just leak from your, from your funnel so easily. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to be so clear, but, um, okay. Well, so tell us, this has been great by the way. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about, uh, tell us about Hannon Hill, what you do there, uh, what value can people get from Hannon Hill? Sure, sure. So I, I work for Hannon Hill. I'm the marketing specialist, but I'm a solo marketer. So I am 
I am basically running the whole department at Hannon Hill. And at Hannon Hill, we, we've been trusted advisors for higher ed institutions for over 20 years now. So our flagship product is Cascade CMS. It's one of the leading web content management systems for colleges and universities in the United States, Canada, and abroad. And we also have a web personalization tool called Clive. I briefly talked about the importance and the power of web personalization. And a web personalization tool like Clive, it integrates with any CMS. So you don't have to have um, Cascade CMS. But this personalization tool shows targeted content to the audience so that each visitor sees the content that's most relevant to them and they don't have to click through 17 different pages in order to get to what they mm. actually want. So it alleviates the friction and it gets people the information that they came to the website for. That's cool. I want that for my, for my website. <laughs> you should, uh, you should uh, schedule a discovery call. We give you a yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're when you're like a you know solopreneur, the website just becomes the wild west really fast because you're like, all right, you start out and you're like, I just need a basic website, and then like a couple months later, like, all right, I'm gonna add a podcast, and then you're like, I'm gonna add a blog. Well, now is that a drop down? Like, does do I name the menu thing like content, and then have it say like podcast? It just gets like mm-hmm. so many pages. It's just personalization would would be helpful just be like just cater this to somebody you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> um all right cool where, where, where can people connect with you at linkedin is the best way to connect with me so i'm always on linkedin i'm active on linkedin it's chris Raposo. so you'll easily find me there maybe you'll tag me in the recap and then if you want to email me it's chris.raposo r-a-p-o-z-o at hannonhill.com Cool. Yeah. Chris is a great follow on LinkedIn. I follow him. Um, I'm sure a good handful of the people that listen to this podcast also follow Chris. He's kind of a popular guy on LinkedIn. Um, so definitely go go check him out. Reach out to Chris. Uh, but yeah, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's a great episode. Thank you, John. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone. Share it with your team, your boss, your dog, whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, Number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever, my email is john at unveiled.tv, john is spelled J-O-H-N, or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.